Hey friends, welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place where we tease apart what it means to be a conscious parent and a conscious human on the wild ride of parenting. I am your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and mom walking the path right next to you as I imperfectly raise my own two teenagers. Joyful Courage is all about grit, growth on the parenting journey, relationships that provide a sense of connection and meaning, and influential tools that support everyone in being their best selves. Today's show is an interview, such a great interview. Oh my gosh, I had the best time talking to this guest about her super important and helpful work. I encourage you to listen for how grit shows up in our conversation. Again, thank you so much for listening. I am deeply honored to lead you and grateful that what I put out to you matters. And I'm so stoked to keep it coming. Thank you for who you are and for being a part of this community. Enjoy the show. Hi, friends. My guest today is Michelle Eichard. Michelle is a member of the Today Show parenting team and NBC News Learn. The author of 14 Talks by Age 14 and Middle School Makeover, her work was featured, has been featured in the Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, the Christian Science Monitor, Red Book, Time, and People magazine. Her leadership curriculum for middle schoolers, Athena's Path and Hero's Pursuit, have been implemented at schools across the U.S., and her summer camp curriculum is offered at more than 20 camps each summer. She lives with her family in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm so excited to welcome her. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, can you share a little bit about your journey of doing what you do? Sure. I have been working with middle schoolers and their families for 16-ish years, 16 plus. My kids are 18 and 20, so I started doing this when they were two and four. Mm. And it started because I was working for a huge consulting firm that blew up. And so 80,000 people were suddenly without a job and I was one of them. And I had a background in teaching and was certified to teach, but was seven months pregnant with my second child at Mm. the time and thought, no one's going to hire me. I don't know what my next move is. So I thought, well, I can teach in some capacity. And I started a tutoring business at that time. And I was working largely with kids who were in middle school. God bless you for that. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. People have that reaction. (laughs) And I was hired mostly to be an academic coach or an organizational coach because, you know, the wheels kind of come off the cart when kids get to middle school and they don't turn their work in and they Mm -hmm. don't know how to study. Everybody starts freaking out too. It's like prime freak out session. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. And so parents were like, please come help. And that was my intention. But as I developed relationships with the kids I was working with, they started talking to me more and more about what was happening with them socially. So Mm -hmm. I was hearing stories about, you know, not knowing where to sit in the cafeteria because their friends weren't talking to them anymore, Mm -hmm. or, you know, feeling pressure to be a certain way. And they were just confiding in me. So that's when I started really diving deep into what happens with kids this age in terms of their development. And And I created my first curriculum for kids, which was a leadership program for kids this age. And it just blossomed from that to the curriculum in schools and then to the books. Yeah. Have you always been a writer? 
Not professionally. (laughs) (laughs) I have always loved writing. I've always reading. And even in my professional job at the consulting firm, I've always been a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I would say like, hey, this is a cool program, but I think it needs a training manual Mm -hmm. or, you know, I'd like to develop something to explain this to people. So I've always been pulled that way. What are the pillars when you're writing a leadership curriculum or the ones that you've written? What kind of is the foundation of what you want to offer with those curriculums? Well, initially what I did in developing them was I thought about, okay, what are some of the core components of being a good leader? And really the concept of these programs are that you can be the leader of your own life. So it's mm, a, it, love that. it meets you at an age when you're really feel like following the crowd. And it's about figuring out who you are, getting to know yourself and getting really comfortable with making decisions for yourself. So I looked, you know, I did a lot of research into that and into confidence building and self-esteem and all that kind of stuff. And then I took what I learned in my research and tried to wrap each lesson in a Mm -hmm. middle school wrapper, you know? So if knowing where you fit in, in a community is a big part of self-esteem, then I wanted to really dissect what does a middle school community look like and help kids kind of think about that pragmatically instead of emotionally. Well, and it feels so less daunting to think about leadership as in I'm the leader of my own life versus I am the leader of everyone, right. you know, I, like, although some of us might want to wear that crown some of the time, you know, not everybody is, I'm just thinking of my own kids and I've got one that definitely could slide into that role. And the other one who's like, oh, heck no, I don't want to be, don't give me the mic. Don't give me the megaphone. I don't want to be the leader. But when you put it in the context of the leader of her life, the designer of her life, like that's one of the things I say, I've said this on the podcast before. Somebody once asked me, you know, what keeps you awake at night when it comes to parenting? And I just want my kids to know they are always the designers of their life. And that's what I'm hearing you say that you're, you know, that work that you've done around curriculum and leadership is really about that. And what a great opportunity for middle schoolers to get that lesson. That's it exactly. And I've never heard that designer of my life. I'm guessing that you coined that phrase and it's beautiful. We can just say that I did. Yes. (laughs) Trademark real quick. I'm sure somebody else (laughs) said it before, but yeah. Well, it's lovely. And that is the intention behind it, really to get these kids at a critical age thinking that they can make their own choices. I love that. Because they always are, right? They're always making their own choices, but broadening their perspective around, you know, like you're in influencing your experience intentionally or unintentionally. So yes, how about we pay attention to that? Okay. (laughs) We're going to talk about your new book. This is a new book, right? 14 Talks by Age 14. It is brand spanking new. It came out Tuesday. So it's two days old. It's two days old. It's just an infant. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, two days ago, I got it in the mail and I've been perusing it. And Michelle, this book is gold. I work with so many parents who really want the script and need that guidance and that stepping stone into tough conversations. So tell me, what was it that inspired you to write this particular book? Thank you. Well, I'm glad that you got it and that you're enjoying it. And that's entirely my intention that it provides the how-to part that I think is often missing. A lot of times, you know, we read articles or books or watch documentaries or whatever it may be and say, man, that's important. Yeah. But then taking it 
a step further to how do I take some action on that is the really hard and scary part. So one of the things that I do is I run a private Facebook group for parents Mm -hmm. and it's called Less Stressed Middle School Parents. And there are like, you know, people from all over the country and all over the world and they all have very universal angst over. Collective journey. It's a collective journey. (laughs) Yeah. So I see this topic come up over and over again, which is whatever it may be. Oh no, I caught my kid vaping or, oh no, my child is Zoom bombing kids in other classes. And so saying bad things or, oh no, whatever it may be. How do I talk to them about this? They're going to freak out when I try to bring it up, but I know I need to say something and I don't know what to say. So what do I do? So hearing that over and over again was really what sort of lit the flame Mm -hmm. for this book. And I began to just think about, you know, before kids get into high school, when the world really opens up, when choices get a little bit harder, Mm -hmm. situations can even get a bit more dangerous. Mm -hmm. What is it that I hope every parent will talk to their child? about. And it's not 14 really specific conversations. It's 14 big life lessons or concepts Mm -hmm. that I want kids to kind of grapple with a little bit before they get into high school. So the relationship is developed between the parent and child, and they've practiced having these conversations. Mm -hmm. And then when they're in high school, then they know they have a comfort level. And when things get harder and the stakes get higher, they know they can go to their parent and talk. Yeah. Well, and it is designed those 14 concepts. Like, I mean, I'm looking in the table of contents right now. So you have conversations about independence and friendship, fairness, how to take criticism, money, sexuality, reputations. But inside each of these chapters, I just have to spoil it for the listeners. Oh my gosh, you guys. Michelle, I love that it's so current. Like it's so 2020, like you said. Conversations around vaping, conversations around nudes and being asked for nudes, which is like crazy to me that it's more likely than not that our daughters will be asked, you know, to. I mean, I remember hearing about it and then asking my daughter about it when she was in middle school and she was like, yeah, it happens. It's happened. Oh, yeah. And I was laughing before I hit record because I couldn't put the book down. Like I was eating meals and like perusing and the kids were watching TV and I had it in my lap because I just kept finding all these conversations. And I was like, yes, Michelle, thank you. (laughs) Poke and stick tattoos. Anybody know about those? Google it or just buy the book. Michelle has a whole conversation example about how to talk about it, even if it's after the fact. This is just such a great resource for parents. And I really appreciate the kind of the formula, the acronym that you use for each conversation, I think is a really simple, pointed way of thinking about coming into some of these conversations. Because on one hand, yes, what if my kid freaks out because I want to talk about this? Or what I hear mostly is like, oh, my kid won't talk about this. So I appreciate (laughs) that you kind of navigate both of those things in some of these conversations. But talk about how you came up with the acronym BRIEF and what it stands for. So BRIEF is my vehicle for getting you there. And really, as you said, it's an acronym. And I love that it also is a reminder that these conversations can be really short. I think we put a lot of undue pressure on ourselves as parents and think, I've got to get this one just right. And you know, I've only got one shot at this. And really, I think kids appreciate it and parents do better when they have lots of little talks instead of the big check the box conversation. Yeah, it would be so much easier if that's all it took. Oh, I know. I, you, I could have written a list instead of a book. I've just been like, right. just check these boxes and you're done. And your kid would follow the script and it would be great. 
But no, it doesn't work that way. So brief is five steps. And I don't want parents to feel like they have to reinvent the wheel every single time, whether it's the tattoo thing or the vape thing or the pornography thing. I think having a pattern to follow makes it so much softer. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, you know, working with all these parents around the world, they talk about how getting started is the hardest part. So I think because of that, what often happens is nervous parents start at the end of the conversation. And so they think, okay, I might have 30 seconds before my kid tunes me out or rolls their eyes or yells back. So I'm just going to jump in the deep end and cram some information or advice down their throat really quickly. And of course, that doesn't work at all. So the brief acronym B stands for begin peacefully. And really what I mean by that is like with a little bit of gentle curiosity about the topic itself and not pointedly about your kid. So if it's about vaping, for example, instead of saying like, hey, we need to talk about vape. I want to know if you've vaped before and if any of your friends vaped and can you give me their parents' phone numbers? You know, you're not starting off with a crash. It's more like, hey, what are kids saying about vape these days? Do they think parents are getting it right or wrong? Like, are we overreacting? So it's just a gentle curiosity. The R is for relate to your kid. And that's just an opportunity for you to demonstrate that you're on the same team and you're not having this conversation because you're trying to bust them or because you're suspicious, you know. So it could be something where you just relate to them. Like, yeah, I know it's kind of weird to talk to your parent about this, or it must be confusing when you aren't sure if you're getting all the right information. Just something empathetic. Can I tell you what I love about this step? Relate to your child. I think it's also a great place because I come from a positive discipline background and we talk a lot about the importance of relationship. And I feel like when we step into that relating, that's really what we're doing is remembering that ultimately we want to maintain relationship with this kid. And what better way to do it than energetically sitting side by side and looking at the problem together. So I appreciate this step. I love the way you said that. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay. So then, yeah, you're almost halfway through at this point. So then I is interview for data and that sounds clinical and I want it to sound clinical because what I don't want it to be is an emotional interrogation. Mm -hmm. So this is where you get to ask some questions. And really, again, it's that gentle curiosity. It's like, what do you know about this? What do you feel about this? not what have you done? You know, (laughs) it's more just, I want to make sure that we're on the same page here. So I'm just asking questions. And I say in the book, you really want to act like a district attorney who has nothing riding on this case. Like you are not emotionally invested at all. You're just gathering some facts. Right. And the more you can really work towards embodying that, I mean, obviously you're emotionally invested in your kids and the more curious that you can truly be beyond just curious language, I think it's so powerful because our kids can vibe us. Yes. <laughs> they're <laughs> smart. I mean, middle school, they're starting to get savvy. By high school, forget it. If you're coming in with an agenda, yep. they can smell it a mile away. So it's I love so that. It's so true. And this really does take practice. So at yeah. first you might feel like I'm faking this interest. Right. I'm faking this curiosity. But when you practice and you get something from them and you realize like, wow, I'm mining for gold here and I just got a nugget, it really draws it out of you and you become better at it. It becomes much more natural. So don't worry if right at first you're like, I am robotic. I don't get it. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Factor. Are you old enough to remember TV dinners? They came in those tin trays and each part of the meal had its own little compartment. I remember eating those and watching Happy Days, followed by Three's Company, maybe a little Laverne and Shirley. 
I am that old. <laughs> well, the situation has been totally upgraded by Factor. Factor makes delicious, ready-to-eat meals. And unlike those quick meals of the past, every meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including meals that are calorie smart, protein plus, and keto if that's your thing. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. In my last order, we got red chicken chili tamale bowls and Italian sausage pizza casserole, as well as other delicious meals that my family loved. Plus, there's breakfast and smoothies and all sorts of other add-ons to make life simpler while also keeping it healthy. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Right now, head to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use code joyful50 to get 50% off. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50 to get 50% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, and I love, too, that this opportunity lets us dispel assumptions. I feel like sometimes we come into these conversations with our own assumptions about what our kids think, what they've done, what they haven't done, and interviewing to collect the data. And I like that kind of technicality of it. That feel feels very much like, oh, I get to actually get a clearer picture instead of just the one that I've created in my mind. And you have to be open, right? Open to having it be different than what you assume too. So I love that. So true. And I think we often assume the worst. My kid is a sociopath. Oh my gosh. You know, totally dead in a ditch. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Okay. So we have begun peacefully. You've related to your kid. You've interviewed, gotten some information. The second to last step is E in brief. And you're going to just echo what you hear. And Mm -hmm. this is so simple. It's anybody who's ever been to a therapist or seen a therapist on TV. They know how this works. It's where you say like, oh, it sounds like you're saying, or I'm hearing this, or it sounds like you might be feeling. And this is key for two reasons. One, it's a time to just check your own 
own comprehension. Mm -hmm. And two, there are some real language barriers. I mean, the concept of this book is built around the idea that we need to learn a different way to talk with kids this age. Mm -hmm. And there are language barriers that come down to vocabulary, Mm -hmm. you know, where a parent may be saying, you're not allowed to date. And a kid is thinking like, well, dating, that's what happens after you've been in a relationship for two years. We're just hanging out. That's just where you fool around or, you know, yes. it's really different vocabulary. So you want to check to show you've been listening. You want to check for comprehension and also for vocab here. I love that. And it's respectful. It's just as yeah. respectful to say, look, I'm going to show you how much I've been listening. And I care so much about you that I want to make sure that I'm getting it right. Like, I just love that. And And kids this age, if you get it wrong, will take probably a little bit of pleasure and I think earned pleasure Mm -hmm. in like telling you, no, 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 it's not that, it's this. And I think that's really validating for them because we don't often treat them as experts. And so for them to get the chance to say, no, for me, it means this, or this is how I feel like you're not hearing me right. I think that's really important. Yeah, me too. And then you reach the final step, which is F in brief, and it stands for feedback. And this is where most parents begin the, okay, I've noticed a problem. I'm going to give you advice or Mm -hmm. suggestion or a limit or whatever it is. But now you've kind of earned your space here and your kid isn't ready to storm off because they know you're really listening and you're open and you're curious. And then you get to say, all right, well, here's what I think you know, and there will be points in your relationship where you have to be the boundary setter. Mm -hmm. And there will be points where you can just say, wow, I think I heard wrong, or I misinterpreted that, or I didn't see it from that point of view. So it's just an opportunity at the end to kind of wrap things up. Well, and I love that it comes after this whole unfolding and connecting around whatever the topic is, because we then realize like, is this a play? Do I need to be worried? Do I need to be ever clearer in my, you know, in sharing what our family values are? Do I need to draw a line in the sand? Like, what do I actually need to do here? I mean, I remember my mom saying to me all this, like out of nowhere, if I ever find out that you smoked or that anyone that you're hanging out with is smoking, you're going to be grounded until you're 35. <laughs> yeah. Guess who started smoking in college? Yeah. Like not really <laughs> effective, mom. But anyway, I really appreciate that. So again, brief, begin peacefully, relate to your kid, interview to collect data, echo what you hear, feedback for everybody that's listening. It's so powerful. And again, Michelle has gone through so many different possible scenarios and brought that formula straight into the book. So even if you're like, okay, well, I get it in theory, but what does it sound like an actual conversation. Now I have to ask you, are these actual conversations? These are based on actual conversations, but that's just based on my work over the past 16 years of working with kids these age. And I really did. I know your kid's not going to follow a script. They're going to completely deviate and do unexpected things and say unexpected things. But I did try to write this as realistically as possible so that, you know, there are times when it feels a little bit like pulling teeth and times when the parent in the book is a little surprised at Mm -hmm. what the kid says. Mm -hmm. So you're right. It's just a, a bunch of opportunities to see it in action and hopefully give parents some comfort that they can do it too. Well, and I always notice, you know, anytime I 
talk about concepts or even leading classes around parenting, there's always someone who's like, yeah, well, what does it look like in real life? And I just really feel like you have offered a resource for all the yeah butters. (laughs) (laughs) And that's hard to do. I mean, but truly, it's really so, I mean, I know I keep saying the same thing over and over, but I love this. I love to hear it. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm really glad. Yeah. Tell me about the conversation crashers that you include in each chapter? I kind of um, approach this two ways. I do in the beginning of the book, the first three chapters are foundational. So it's stuff that I think you just need to know about your kid at this age. Mm -hmm. And it's general. And there is a chapter that just is sort of a overarching, here are some communication techniques that lots of parents, myself included, Mm -hmm. have fallen back on that don't work particularly for kids this age because of where they are developmentally. So I go over those and I'm happy to give you a couple examples of those in a second. But then the other thing that I do is for each topic at the end of each chapter, I give specific conversations to that very topic. So like if you are talking about sexuality, please don't say this particular thing mm-hmm. on this subject that's going to you know send your kid screaming. So generally, the types of things that kids this age just recoil at would be making assumptions. You know, developmentally around age 11, what your kid is doing is, I call it the middle school construction project, but they are beginning to build the three things they need to become an adult. And that's an adult brain, an adult body, and an adult identity. And the identity piece is what drives so much of this language barrier Mm -hmm. because language is what we use to tie groups of people together. And your tween's job around age 11 is to figure out how to break ties apart, right? Mm -hmm. So they have to figure out how to become independent. And we want that, but we don't realize when they're doing it that we forget that (laughs) we want it. We don't want it. We want it. We don't want it. (laughs) We want it. And we don't want it. We want it to look a very specific way. We want it to look like doing chores. Developing independence, do your chores. There you go. Yes, exactly. But it really often manifests as, you know, talking back or dressing inappropriately or however it looks. Yeah. So all that to say that some of the things that they don't like to hear are when we assume that we know how they feel. So Mm -hmm. saying something, like, you're going to regret that later. Mm -hmm. You're really going to regret that. No one likes to be told how they'll feel in the future, but particularly for a kid this age, I can just feel my inner 13-year-old digging my heels in and being like, I will prove to you that I can make this choice and will not regret it the way you predict. Right. And no longer is it even about the choice. It's about how they're feeling about you. I think that's so fascinating. That's right. A couple other conversation crashers that kids this age don't like. They don't like when parents are vague. So a lot of times parents are like, I don't want to put too much on my kid's radar, you know, particularly when it comes to talking about things like sex or maybe drinking or, you know, whatever. Parents will say, you know, (laughs) they'll use euphemisms a lot of times. And I understand the need to be protective. And certainly we don't want to be developmentally beyond where our kids are. But by the time your kid is going into middle school, they're going to hear it all pretty much. And so I encourage parents not to be vague about stuff like this, to really be specific. And there are studies that show that kids want the same thing. Well, and my good friend and podcast favorite, Amy Lang, would say, by the time your kids are going into middle school, they need to know all the mechanics of sex. So, oh, for sure. Yeah, we're just putting that out there for everyone. Yes. And I love this. Don't be vague. And then another one is don't be indirect about what you need. I am the queen of this. And my son is like, mom, what do you want me to do? Just say it. (laughs) 
because I want to just kind of offer a little nudge and have him be like, oh, you want me to get up and empty the dishwasher right now? Okay. But he's like, if you want me to do it, just tell me to do it. That's exactly right. And I think we've heard this for a long time in, you know, from marital books or relationship Mm -hmm. experts will say, you know, you're not a mind reader. So let your partner know if there's something that you want or need. And we don't do that with our kids. And I'm like you, this is really my Achilles heel. Mm -hmm. And I tend to get passive aggressive about it. Oh yeah. Like I nudge and I nudge or I drop a hint. And then finally I'm like, well, fine. I guess if you don't ever want to take your stuff up off the stairs, then I guess I just won't bother buying new things. (laughs) You know? I knew I liked you. My child is never going to be like, oh, wow, mom. (laughs) Now that you say it like that, I completely get it. Thanks. I will begin to carry my things up off the stairs. I can see how annoying that is, right? I never get the reaction I want from being passive aggressive. So that is a conversation crasher. Yeah, for sure. Can I ask you about one more? Yeah. Because I love this one. And I actually have a client who falls into this with her child. Don't be tricked into proving yourself. Talk about that. I think that kids this age, they're undergoing some really fascinating and amazing brain development. And one of the things that's happening is that they are making a shift from hypothetical thinking or from concrete thinking to hypothetical thinking. And so what that means is that they have gone from being like, everything is black and white. This Mm -hmm. is right. This is wrong to lots of gray area. Mm -hmm. And they become like little attorneys where they constantly want to debate things and figure out what's malleable and what's not. You as the parent on your heels a lot of times trying to get you to prove that you are right. Mm -hmm. What you want is right. What you're asking is correct. What you need is accurate. And you don't have to fall into that. I mean, I'm not advocating for the because I said so approach necessarily, but I think that there's this great desire from a kid that age to get you to prove it and you don't have to prove yourself. Right. So for the example might be, you know, the kids need to put their phones away at eight o'clock and the middle schooler says, well, you don't have to put your phone away. So why do I have to put my phone away? That's right. So if we're not going to say, because I said so, what are some suggestions that you have of how to navigate? How do we extricate ourselves from that child who is like, no, tell me why, tell me why, tell me why? I mean, I think you can just say, because that's the rule, you know, great. that's the rule in our family. And we have different rules for different ages and different circumstances. And this is what we think keeps you safest and healthiest. Mm -hmm. You need a certain amount of break from screen time. You need a certain amount of, you know, downtime before going to bed. It affects your sleep habits and that's it. And, you know, it's not up for debate, but if you want to talk about something within the realm of possibility. Maybe you're frustrated because you don't feel like you get enough time to text with your friends. And I'm saying you have to put your phone away at a certain time. Let's talk about how to get you what you need, but within the bounds of what our rules are in the family. Well, and I love that because I often think of our kids, you know, they'll cast Like I think of like a fishing pole and they'll cast the hook and we're so good at grabbing the hook, right? And so like, well, why don't you have to put your phone away? There's that (laughs) hook. Well, I'm an adult and da-da-da-da-da, right? Versus like, I see the hook, but what this really is about is it's hard for you to put your phone away. So let's talk about that. So I love that invitation to recognize... And it's something I talk about here on the podcast as well, that iceberg metaphor of it's not about what's at the tip, it's about what's happening underneath, so. That's right. Again, you're mining for gold and you might find a really good little nugget if you keep being curious about it. What is your favorite of all these chapters, all these talks? What was the most fun one for you to write about? My favorite chapter 
is the one on independence. And it comes early in the book. I think it's chapter five. And I love it because, as you can tell, I'm really into this identity development piece, this part where kids are kind of separating from their parents. And the independence chapter is about how kids do that. And it's primarily two ways. So in times when we are not in a pandemic, exploring the world is a big one. So, you know, kids this age love to go to the mall with a gang of friends and not have parents follow them around or ride their bikes without anyone around and explore the neighborhood. And this sort of exploration of their world becomes really important to them. Mm -hmm. And then the sort of yin and yang of this is that they also isolate. They Mm -hmm. go in their room and they cocoon and they don't come out for a very long time. And so both are ways that they are expressing and exploring their way of being independent. And I'm just fascinated by that and also kind of by how we as parents react to that in ways that can encourage it in ways that can make our kids feel bad about wanting to do that. Well, and I love, I'm looking at the conversation that you have mapped out about isolation and just going back to listeners, the idea that, you know, is this real? Could these be real conversations? There's a place where in the relating to the kid wanting to get a TV and the mom or the parent basically says, oh, I could see how you'd want that, but that's not really great for your sleep, but I'm happy you love your room. And the kid's response is, thanks, bye. Yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> totally relatable. Thank you. Yes, I do try to keep it real. <laughs> Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. (laughs) 
as people have read your book, and I know it just came out, but I'm guessing you had some testers, some early honors. What have they been the most surprised by? I think what I'm hearing most from early readers is that they're comforted, you know, and I think we all feel so stressed out at this point. I mean, there are studies that show that being a parent of a middle schooler is like the loneliest and most stressful time of being a parent. And so I'm really happy that the book is providing them comfort in feeling like they're not alone, like their experiences in communicating with their kids are universal and that they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to get it just right. And that there are ways to just incrementally improve that relationship and that communication. And, you know, that's one thing that shows up in the work that I do when parents want the script. And there's this assumption that just having the script is enough. And okay, great. I've said the thing and now we're not going to have any problems. Right. If only, right? If only. And truly, this is not about bubble wrapping your kid Mm -hmm. or about ensuring that they won't make mistakes. My hope with the book and with all the work that I do is that it's really about developing a relationship with your kid and keeping the door open so that when mistakes happen, and they will, Mm -hmm. your kid is willing to come to you. Right. Because you've proven that you can handle the conversation. Right. I love that. You're not going to freak out. Right. And speaking of freaking out, there is also an expectation if you're going to have these kinds of talks, there's, you know, when I think about parenting, I think of it's like the lifelong personal growth and development workshop opportunity. (laughs) It's like, oh, I didn't know I had issues until I had a child. And then all that's like ready for therapy, ready for transformation (laughs) workshops. Okay, let's go. There's a big expectation, I think, that, you know, you've got to to have these conversations. And I think I'd love for you to speak into your own experience around this. I mean, I think we all want open, honest communication and relationships with our kids and to be able to have these conversations with them. And it is not the easy road by any means. I mean, ignorance is bliss. (laughs) Ignorance is bliss until it's not. I think ignorance is until that moment that you realize the facade is cracking in a dangerous way. Right. I didn't realize I had to talk to my kid about this and now I see the nudes on the phone. Right. You know, so I think it's blissful until things kind of shatter. For sure. Right? Yeah, it's blissful until you catch them doing the mischief. That's right. But it's also, you know, it's not an easy road to hold space for these really open relationships with our kids because sometimes these conversations are, yeah, I am curious, or yeah, I did do that thing, or yeah, I'm planning on doing. X, Y, Z. And, you know, and us as parents to be able to sit inside of that space with our child without letting all that fear, without letting all that, you know, just the fear, dead in a ditch, you know, prison, all the worst case scenarios show up in the mind. And then we get into that place of like, I got to shut this down. And then, you know, 14 talks by age 14, keeping it brief goes right out the window and we're right in those conversation crashers as well, huh? You bring up a really good point, which is I don't want you to know everything about your kid. I really don't. I think that they deserve privacy. I never advocate that you should be reading every text that comes through, monitoring every, you know, walking into the room to make sure that they're not making out, you know, like I don't think you need to be there for all these moments and know everything. So I don't want anyone to be thinking like, oh good, she gave me permission to be like, 
like 100% integrated into their thoughts all the time. I want you to be like separate from each other. It's more that I hope parents read the book and feel like it's a load off, you know, to know that like I can be open to them. We can communicate. They'll tell me what they need me to know, but not the parts that I don't need to know. Right. And they're pretty good judges of that. You know, I think you want them to come to you when they feel unsafe, Mm -hmm. when they're hurting really bad, you know, if they're thinking thoughts about self-harm, you know, you want them to come to you and know it's really safe for all of that. They don't have to tell you, hey, I'm thinking about going to third base. What are your thoughts? Right. (laughs) Like, Yeah. Yeah, Because by the way, I mean, maybe not middle school, but Third base happens in the teen years, everyone. Like, of course it does. Yes. <laughs> it's appropriate ish. Right. I love that. I appreciate that. And I really like that you explicitly just said, you know, this isn't about knowing everything because you're right. right. And I also hear you saying that there is a level of trust. And I love talking about trust because trust, not so much, I trust you to never do anything stupid which I realize stupid is a judgy word. That's okay. <laughs> just between us. Yeah, just between you and me. But yeah. it's really about I trust that you are going to learn from your mistakes. That's it 100%. I know that parents think, but I know better. I can spare them yeah. the hurt and the grief and the, you know, the permanent record, <laughs> whatever it may be, because I know better. But we know better because we were given the opportunity to experience and to learn. And our kids deserve that same opportunity because that is how we learn. Yeah, I love that. So what are some tools when you work with parents that you offer to kind of help them, you know, stay in a calm and aware and connected place so that they can have some of these hard conversations with their kids? Well, I will share with you my kind of gold standard tip for talking to kids this age. And it has absolutely nothing to do with what you say and everything to do with how you look. So there was a really cool study that came out of McLean Hospital, which is one of Harvard's teaching hospitals. And a neurologist there was interested in facial expressions and how we interpret them. So she put adults through an MRI and hooked them up and then showed them photos of people's faces and said, can you, just by looking at this person's face, tell me how they're feeling? And just really basic emotions. And adults could 100% of the time identify accurately if someone felt scared or if they felt angry or if they felt happy, you know, all the Mm -hmm. basics. And then she put teenagers through, hooked them up to the MRI, showed them the same photos and asked them the same question. And teens got it wrong 50% of the time. So they would look at a person's face and incorrectly guess what that person was feeling. And they could tell because they were hooked up to the MRI that the teens were using a different part of their brain. They were using the emotional center of their brain Hmm. and not the prefrontal cortex that adults are using. So this leads to a great many disastrous conversations between parents and kids because parents will say like, I don't know what happened. My daughter came home from school. I asked her how her math test was. And she like screamed at me. I don't know. Even if I've gotten the grades, why are you so mad? And stormed (laughs) off. And then the mom is left like, what just happened? So my tip is I call it having a Botox brow. And I really want you to picture that you- (laughs) (laughs) We don't need one. We can fake it. Maybe a Botox. (laughs) Want to pretend you're a celebrity on a late night talk show and you've been so overly Botoxed, you cannot crinkle your forehead. Just Uh. pretend 
We're going to have to practice that in the mirror. Yeah, it's a hard one. And do practice it in the mirror because whenever I give talks to groups of parents and I give this advice, I look out at a sea of like wide-eyed, crazy-looking people. (laughs) I'm like, you're not supposed to look like you've been caught. You're supposed to look really just neutral. Neutral. Like nothing on your face. And when you can start having that expression, when you talk to your kids, you'll find they open up so much more because they think you're not judging them and they think you're not mad at them. Yeah. Well, and I've actually heard of a study, maybe it's the same study. I watched a a documentary about the teen brain that found boys more often than girls experience a neutral facial expression as hostile. Is that still current research or is that old news? I don't know that one, but I'm absolutely going to be looking it up. That's so funny because when I think about my two kids and I have a boy and a girl, I can imagine my son at that age being like, what's wrong? And me being like, nothing. I am just totally relaxing. (laughs) My kids have told me that I'm yelling with my face. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very expressive. (laughs) Yeah. So tweak it to your own kid. You know, you may have a kid who's like, but know that no matter what at that age, they are not using the same part of the brain that we are to interpret. And so misinterpretation is a big issue. That is huge. They're not using the same part of the brain. Not only that, they're actually using the emotional part of the brain. Right. Yeah. That's huge. Ugh, so good. So I always end with this question, Michelle, and I'd love to pitch it to you. When you hear joyful courage, what does it mean to you? When I hear joyful courage, I think it has to do with being brave without worrying about the outcome, like Mm. just for the moment of the bravery. So like the joy of taking the leap or asking the person out or, you know, whatever it may be without worrying about how it turns out. So great. Where can people find you and follow your work and get your new book? I expect everywhere that they sell books. That's right. Everywhere they sell books, you can get the book. (laughs) So your indie bookshop, your indie books online, you can go to Amazon. My publisher is Penguin Random House. You can go to their website for links to all these places, Target, wherever you go, or you order online. And then you can find me in a couple places. I have a website, obviously, everybody mm-hmm. does. So it's just my full name, Michelle Eichard, and it's Michelle with two L's. And my last name is spelled like Icard, I-C-A-R-D.com. Mm-hmm. And that same name is my Instagram handle. So you can go there and see all my Botox brow expressions, <laughs> what to do and what not to do. I do a little tutorial on there. Awesome. I have a lot of tricks. How do we make it stick though? How do you make it stick? Well, then, then you might need a prescription or something. I don't know. <laughs> a lot of practice. <laughs> Great. Can you tell us the name of your Facebook group too? Yeah, sure. So Facebook is Less Stressed Middle School Parents. Love it. Okay. And listeners, you know, all those links will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Michelle. This was great. Thank you for coming on and talking to me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again for listening. If you feel inspired and you haven't already done it, please do me a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We're working hard to stand out and make a massive impact on families around the globe. Your review helps the Joyful Courage podcast to be seen by even more parents. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, follow Joyful underscore Courage on Instagram and Facebook. We love connecting with you on social media. And as a member of the Joyful Courage community, don't forget that you can access counseling for your teen and get 10% off your first month at teencounseling.com slash 
slash jcteen. Love you, love you, love you. Have a beautiful week. I'll be back next Monday with a brand new show. Thanks. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.